Always good to be here. I hope you guys had a happy holiday season and got to see your families. Uh, but if not, I'm glad that you're here and that we get to worship as God's family. I think that is just a wonderful blessing. What do you get when a male, a female, a Jew, a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, Scythian, slave, and freeman walk into a room? See, it sounds like the setup to a joke, but actually, this is how God's church is described, or at least all the people brought together by Christ in Colossians chapter 3. And that's where we're going to be today. So, the thing is that we understand that interacting with people is difficult. You bring in lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds. There are sure to be clashes. And we know that because even within our own families, where almost everything is the same, where we're working from similar things, there are still clashes. People are hard to work with because they're different from us or just because they're people. They fall short just like you and I do. And so today, I want to talk about this passage in Colossians, where Paul gives us some help in how to work together, how to get along, how to forgive. And I just want to start by making this observation. We understand the idea of a commitment to get along. Uh, many of us, uh, when we got married, effectively, if you sum down the vows to one sentence, it's like, we're going to make this work, right? Because no matter what happens, we make a commitment that we're going to overlook their faults, we're going to work together, we're going to forgive, we're going to be gracious, because a marriage is important to us. And we are committed to doing whatever it takes to hold that relationship together. And to a lesser degree, we make a similar commitment when we decide to work for a certain employer, that no matter you know, what happens between our, our coworkers and stuff, we're going to not let our emotions interfere with the job that we want to do. And when we get together as a church, we decide we're here for a higher purpose. We're going to follow Jesus. And yeah, there are going to be times when we're going to have scuffles where it's going to be difficult. But we're not going to let petty arguments or even large disagreements keep us from doing what we're here to do, which is serve God. And so today, I want to talk about this idea, committed to making it work. We're going to be looking at five keys to forgiveness in the book of Colossians in chapter 3. We'll start in verse 12. So right after verse 11, where Paul has just explained that God brought all these different people from all over the world together. He says, here's how you're going to make this work. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if any has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
Paul here is giving us some insight into how we're going to make this work. And really the core of it is in verse 13. That we are bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven, you must forgive. That what, we, what the key to all this is, is that we've got to forgive each other. But if you're anything like me, it's, you already know that you need to forgive each other. And your head, when you're talking with people, it's like, okay, I, I've got to forgive them. I've got to get past this. But there's something in your heart, something that, that you get stuck up on. And it's hard to forgive. And so I think as we look in verse 12, we will find some really key ingredients to help us be more successful in our forgiveness. Now, I, I want to say from here, I think that the gist of what Paul is saying in terms of forgiveness is that no matter uh, what happens, we're going we're gonna to get over it, we're going to keep working, uh, we're going to forgive each other. Now, I want to make three uh, caveats before I just say that without qualifying. One, I want to say that when we forgive people, that doesn't mean overlooking their sin. Like, if someone is a compulsive liar, we're not just going to be like, oh, you know, you just, you do you. Like, we got to talk to that person. We've got to confront them, help them grow. But forgiveness means we're not harboring anger. We're not harboring frustration. We're not wishing evil on them. We hope the best for them. We want them to feel loved. But if someone's in sin, we got to talk to them about that. The second observation is that even if someone repents, there still might be consequences. And forgiveness doesn't mean there aren't consequences. You take, your, take the example of a liar. Uh, you can forgive them, but you may not trust them entirely. And there are lots of permutations of that. And if someone doesn't repent, they, if, if they're in sin and they refuse to repent, like, we can't call you a brother in Christ if you're going to go against what Christ says and not care anything about it. So there are consequences for sin, but there is still forgiveness, still a, a sense of, I, I wish you the best. I want to love you. I want you to be returned to Christ. And I, I want what God wants for you, a sense of love that still remains. And so with that, we come to my third observation, which is, yes, I really do mean that whatever happens, we got to forgive. We got to get past it because that's what Jesus did for us. That you know, no matter what we did, God still looks at us with love, still takes care of us, still sent his son to die for us. And if that's the God that we serve, we got to be the same way. That's what it says here forgiving just as the Lord has forgiven you. And so with that, we're going to look at these five elements of verse 12 here in Colossians. And I've chosen a little bit different of an order than Paul to present them in today. But he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. The first thing I want to talk about is humility. I think this is the fundamental bedrock on which everything else is built. Because 
if we are interacting with people in a sense of I'm better than you or a sense of like I would never fall into that temptation or a sense of like you need to treat me like I'm amazing, then there are going to be problems. And so the first part that we need to know in forgiveness and in interacting with people is that we need to have a sense of humility. I think this needs to be explained in two very specific ways. One is uh, in the sense of I am not better than you. If you'll turn over with me to John chapter 8, you can keep a marker in Colossians 3 because we're going to be coming back to it a lot. But in John 8, there's a story of a woman caught in adultery. And Jesus uh, is, is met by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees ex- explain to him, we'll start in verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in an act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? This they said to test him, whether, um, that they might bring a charge against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he bends down, he keeps writing. And in verse nine, it says, but when they heard it, They went away one by one, beginning with the oldest one, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Here's what's profound about this story. Well, several things. One is that for once in their lives, the Pharisees and the scribes had a a dose of humility to say, Yeah, The law commands that we should stone this woman, but we're allowed to have forgiveness. These laws are a maximum punishment kind of thing. So they always had a choice to not execute this woman. And what Jesus points them to is this concept. When you sin, you need forgiveness. When you sinned, you got a second chance. This woman should be given a second chance. And if you can see someone in sin and say, you know what, I've never needed a second chance. I'm sinless, you know, and I have have no idea what it would mean to have a second chance because I don't don't need that. And like, okay, well, then we can start talking about you punishing someone else for the wrong that they did. But until then, we got to realize that as much as we need second chances, everyone else needs second chances too. And... Jesus, of course, doesn't just say, okay, you're fine, do whatever you want. He says, no, stop sinning. Go your way and sin no more. But the thing about this interaction is that this woman was given another chance because these people had the humility to realize that they needed that too. And so as we're interacting with people and they get frustrated at us and they do things that they shouldn't do, we got to give them a second chance. And when people are ignorant or they, they, they just are not bringing the sort of intensity to the work that they, they should be doing here among us. Like, we got to have humility with them and say, look, I've, I've been there. And as, if we start from that, a sense of I am, I am guilty, or I, have, I have been guilty of these same faults or similar ones, I am susceptible to the same failings that you are, then we're going to have a lot more in common, a lot better starting point to work from. The second one 
A second aspect of humility that's really vital is just this simple observation. When you are prideful, everything gets blown up massively. Take Haman as an example. Uh, Haman is one of the more prideful characters in the Bible in the book of Esther. And to sum up the story for you, he gets mad at one Jew who will not bow to him. And so he decides he's going to commit genocide to kill off every single Jew. And as you read through the story, you realize the whole problem is that Haman has this massive ego. And I'm not... Yeah, I'm not suggesting that any of us are going to commit genocide, but this idea that this man was very prideful and it took a very small thing for him to blow it up really big. And I've seen that, that there are times when really small things or things that shouldn't really be a big issue become a long drawn out thing where you harbor lots of bitterness and resentment and as you get down to it, the core of it is a lack of humility. And so we've got to have the humility to see when we are acting ridiculously, when we're blowing things out of proportion. We need to have the humility to see, look, I need a second chance. They need a second chance. We've got to be gracious and kind to one another. And if you're ever interacting with your brother or sister in Christ, and you find yourself feeling, you know, I would never do that, or I would never be, you got to start back at the beginning. <laughs> start back with humility. Put this, this stone into place, and we'll work from there. The first key is humility. So we've got to commit to that. Let's commit to humility. But Paul has other advice. In verse 12, again, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. The second one is compassion. And I think of all of the hard-hitting points, this is the one. If you could master compassion, it will transform the way you interact with people that upset you. And the reason is because the skill of compassion allows you to turn the tables, where if someone says something really mean to you, or you see someone being prejudicial, or, or in some way not acting the way that they ought to, there's one, state, there's one stance that says, wow, I'm so angry, I'm just going to fester in my anger, and they shouldn't treat me like that, and I've been wronged. And there's another view that says, look, when, I'm a, when I am stressed, when I am tired, when I've got a lot of things going on in my life, yeah, I do some pretty stupid things too. And when I'm raised in this certain environment, I, I've also done things I shouldn't do. And it doesn't make it right, but it makes it understandable. And so when we have compassion and we are wronged, it changes our mindset from where we might sit and do nothing or sit and fester or sit and be angry. Whereas on, on the flip side, with compassion, if you see someone lash out at another person and you start to think about it, you think about why would they do that? Well, they're working extra long recently and their kids are not letting them sleep at night and they're having a lot of troubles in life, 
they're not bad people, they're just tired. So instead of going and getting angry at them, what if you offered to bring them lasagna on Thursday? Like something simple, an act of kindness to address the thing that they need, which is help, which is love, which is kindness. Again, this compassion thing, it, it, it does, it's not justifying the things that people are doing. It's not saying, yeah, you are okay to do that. But it is saying, look, I understand. You know, again, I've been there. I, I have humility. I understand what it is to be stressed and to do things that you shouldn't do when you're under pressure. And when we can see that in other people, that is going to open up so many doors for us to help, for us to be kind, for us to have opportunity to serve rather than opportunity to pull ourselves away from one another. So compassion, that's the second thing that we've got to master. We've got to commit to compassion. But as we keep moving on, we've got to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. The third one I want to talk about is kindness. Now, kindness is one of those words that's in like all of the lists of Christian virtues, but as you start to try and define it exactly, it's sort of nebulous. And so I want to look at a couple passages that I feel like really help us nail down what it is to master Christian kindness. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. In Romans 12, we'll start in verse 10 and read through verse 13. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, says the Lord, or serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So this is what kindness looks like when Everything is good. Uh, when we're working together as a congregation, we're trying to outdo one another in love. We're seeking to show hospitality. We are on the lookout for what people need and opportunities to serve, and we are seeking to do that. Kindness in this context is the idea that we want to serve other people. We want to put ourselves out there to be helpful, to seek their best interests and not our own. But kindness gets really interesting when you introduce strife to the mixture. Let's look in Luke chapter 6. In Luke 6, this is verse 35. Not, oh yes, sorry. Luke 6, verse 35. says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. That It says here that God is kind even to the ungrateful and the evil. And if God is seeking the best of even the people who are not going to be thankful to him, even the evil people, then we've got to do that too. 
And what it says is, is lend, expecting nothing in return. Love your enemies. And this adds a really powerful dynamic to the idea of kindness. And that is, kindness is not simply service, but it is a service that serves without regard to worth. Because we can all give to people that we like. We can all serve people that we feel like are worthy of our service. But kindness is the thing that drives us to love the unlovable. Kindness is the thing that pushes us to do things that don't make sense to other people who are like, why would you, why would you serve him? Why would you do that kindness to them? They're not going to appreciate it. But kindness drives us to be like our Lord, to serve others even when they don't deserve it. And so as we are looking around one another, we got to be actively seeking out opportunities to serve all the time, constantly. And when we are falling behind in that, then we are falling behind in what I would call the default Christian mode, that in all circumstances, we are seeking to do kindness. We are seeking to serve, seeking to help. Because, I mean, that's what we're here for. That's why we are a group, is because we fall. We need encouragement. We need love. And the people who upset us need the most kindness. And so we've got to put into our hearts this concept of kindness. And if that is the way that you treat other people always, is that your, if that is your default mode, then you're going to have a lot smoother interactions with people. And when you come to them, and later on we'll get to this, but when you come to them and you say, look, we got to talk, you, you've done wrong, and I, I really need to talk to you about this. If they have seen your track record of kindness, your track record of I am seeking the best for you, then you're going to have a lot better results talking to them, rebuilding that relationship than if you have not chosen a path of kindness. So kindness is our default mode. Kindness is what we must commit to. But there's two more elements. We're told, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So I chose the word endurance rather than patience because patience, that's what the ESV says. Uh, it kind of, it's got the idea of waiting. And I think patience in that concept is vital. That sometimes people are going to do wrong. Uh, sometimes people are going to be young. I know I have, as I was trying to write this sermon, I was trying to think of examples of times I have forgiven people. And uh, I just came up with a long list of times when people have forgiven me because, you know, growing up, I, I did a lot of things that I, I shouldn't do, not like giant things, but I was, you know, a teenager and I needed patience. I needed forgiveness. Patience is vital. But actually, I think what Paul has in mind here is better translated as long-suffering or endurance. So, I would describe it with this analogy. Patience is the thing that keeps you going back to the gym, keeps you training, keeps you pushing so that you keep getting stronger. But endurance and long-suffering is the thing that keeps you in the ring, that after you've endured punch after punch after punch, you keep getting up. And the thing about 
patience or endurance in this situation is if we've described kindness as the default Christian setting, then long-suffering or endurance is the direct measurement of how long it takes for someone to push you off of your path of kindness. That people who are impatient, people who do not have that endurance, it doesn't take much. You say one word and they're like, no, I, I don't like you anymore. We're not going to be kind. But people who have trained themselves to be patient, to have endurance, you're going to see that even after a long time, even after they have been pushed around, even after they have endured a whole lot, that they are going to keep on being patient, keep on loving. And we've got lots of examples of this in the Bible. I mean, you think about Jesus as the chief example, that even while he was dying on the cross, people were still ridiculing him, and yet he did not allow their ridicules, he did not allow anything that man was doing to deviate him from his path of serving the Lord the way he knew he needed to do. And I think that's something really vital for us to understand about this. Because sometimes we feel like uh, that people don't deserve our kindness or that there's, we just, we don't feel like it. But what that is doing is allowing somebody else to tell you how you are supposed to serve God. Like if I know I'm supposed to love people, I don't want to let anybody else keep me from doing what I know God wants me to do. And so allowing people uh, to affect you in such a way that you are no longer serving God the way you ought to do. That's not how we're supposed to be. We've got to be patient. We've got to have endurance. We've got to be like Jesus. We've got to be like David, who after you know, so many times Saul tried to kill him. He's running from Saul. But even after that, he still had such respect for Saul, would not let people kill him. And when people finally did uh, claim to kill Saul, he had them executed because David respected Saul immensely, even though Saul was really awful to David. Or another example is uh, Barnabas. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they sailed out with John Mark, but John Mark deserted them for some reason or another, and Paul was really miffed about this. But Barnabas saw in uh, John Mark something profound, which is that even though John Mark had messed up, Barnabas still believed in him, still saw the good in him, and he was not going to let something small keep him from helping John Mark to reach his potential. And so we endure, and we let people hurt us sometimes because we want to keep doing the right thing. And we have made a commitment that when people are mean, when they don't treat us right, when they don't seem very lovable, that none of those things are going to keep us from doing what we know God wants us to do, which is kindness, which is love. And so we've got to commit then to this idea of endurance. And finally, we need to commit to gentleness. And this is really, having said all of these four points before this, a pretty natural conclusion. I mean, if somebody upsets you, you're, you're going to want to go talk to them. You're going to want to work through it. 
But if we've already committed to this idea of humility, that I am not better than you, I have the same fallings and failings that you do, it's like, well, it's going to be really hard to come down hard on them. And if we've already committed to compassion, to seeing them not as an enemy, not seeing them as someone who is out to ruin the faith. I mean, there are people out there who are those kinds of people, but ignoring them for a moment, by and large, people want to do the right thing. And if we choose to see people as vessels for love, as people who need our service, then it's going to be really hard, again, to come down super hard on them, to blast them to smithereens. Uh, And if we've committed to kindness, if that is our default mode, then we're going to be seeking the best for those people. And if we've committed to endurance, we're not going to let the things that they do keep us from seeking their best. And so when we go talk to someone, uh, which is the biblical position when you see someone who is in sin, when they've done wrong, I mean, all over the place, we talked about this in our Galatians class recently. It's in 2 Timothy 2, uh, in Matthew 18, which we'll look at here in a moment. When, when people do something sinful, we got to go talk to them. we got to encourage them to do the right thing. But if we are coming at them from this place of humility, then we're not going to grieve them with a sorrow that is not leading to repentance. And we're not going to come at them with a haughtiness. We're not going to come at them trying to hurt them. We're going to come trying to help. And that is what I want to note as we turn over to Matthew 18. Uh, that We often turn to Matthew 18 as a passage on how do we correct our brothers. And I think it's vital, uh, vital information for that. But I want to show you the point of it all. In Matthew 18... Starting in verse 15, starting and ending in 15, because that's the only verse we're reading. Uh, In Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between uh, you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's the point. That's why this conversation is happening. And if you are going at them trying to win the argument instead of your brother, you got to go back a few steps. That what we're trying to do is to love each other, to help each other all get to heaven, all trying to work together. We are committed to making it work. And as long as we are worshiping here together, trying to serve God together, we cannot let little things keep us from doing what we know we need to do, which is serve God. And if I am able to help you and you are able to help me, then the more people that we can get help from and the more people we can help, the stronger we are going to be. And for that reason, we've got to lay aside these small things or even the large things and commit to working together, commit to making it work, commit to forgiveness. And when we have done all of these things, we will find that our church is stronger, that our love is better, and we'll find that we better understand Christ, our Lord, who showed us all of these things, who loved us so deeply, and who forgave us of all of our sins. And so, as we're summing up today, I want to read our our theme passage once more. I know I keep reading it, but you can never read the scriptures too much. In Colossians 3, verse 12, Put on then... 
as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You know, we've got to choose that while we're working together, we are going to commit to making it work. Commit to a humility that says, I love you. A humility that says, I'm not better than you. I'm here to help. Commit to a compassion that sees opportunities to serve rather than opportunities to get upset. Commit to kindness, our default Christian setting. And commit to endurance, the thing that keeps us from deviating from our path. And finally, commit to gentleness, this idea that we, when we talk with our brothers, we're trying to encourage them. We're trying to help them grow. We're not trying to win the argument. We're trying to win our brother. And when we have all of these things, God is pleased. We are working together as he intended. And we will see the harmony in our church that God wants for us. And so if you're here today and you need our prayers, if we can help you in any way, if you've never started your journey to follow Christ, to be a part of this awesome group of people that is full of love, full of kindness and humility and all of these wonderful traits, and you want to know more about Jesus or you'd like to be baptized, we would love to help you with that. If you have any need at all, please come forward as we stand and sing.